It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the moment that went viral. In the cool of the early morning in Napidor, Myanmar's bizarre, purpose-built capital, a fitness instructor is filming her usual lesson. Wearing a high-vis workout kit, she dances out her aerobic routine, seemingly oblivious, as behind her, a convoy of black armoured vehicles stream down the vast 20-lane highway towards the country's parliament complex. the beginnings of a coup. It says a lot that it is perhaps this moment above all others that caught the world's attention, as history repeated itself and Myanmar became subject, once again, to military rule. After 50 years of living under an oppressive military government, Myanmar was supposed to be on the path to democracy. The world had cheered on as Aung San Suu Kyi rose to power, a beacon to the world of progressive change. But slowly, the world's attention drifted away. Then in February 2021, ten years exactly after they had handed over power, the military seized control again. The coup led to countrywide protests, followed by a violent crackdown. Brutality of the army was out in full force, but now under the scrutiny of a connected population armed with mobile phones. And as evidence of the brutality grew, so did a resistance movement. The protesters, students, teachers, doctors, artists, fled to the jungles to train as soldiers. Military and police began abandoning their posts. Now, as civil war spreads through the country, the military rules without consequence. Politicians and activists have been executed, and there are accusations of war crimes and massacres. I'm Ali Fowl, and this week on the slow newscast from Tortoise, Myanmar, the country the world turned its back on. As the military government, backed by China and Russia, committed atrocities, what price are we paying for Western silence? I first moved to Myanmar in 2012, in the early days of the transition. I decided to move to Yangon, Myanmar's largest city, to document the transition and take part in the newly emerging media scene. When I arrived, I found a city frozen in time after decades of isolation, 
left behind by the rest of the rapidly developing world. Crumbling colonial buildings lined unpaved roads. The few cars on the street looked like they were from another era. With no debit payments or ATMs, it was a cash economy. Suitcases filled with thousands of grimy, well-thumbed notes were exchanged for house payments and salaries. Mobile phones were essentially banned for ordinary people, with SIM cards costing hundreds of dollars. But within a few months of my arrival, foreign businesses had begun to invest. Global payment and telecoms companies rushed in to fill the gap in the market. ATMs and telephone masts appeared around the cities. World leaders began to visit, giving the transition to democracy a global stamp of approval. And in 2015, the National League for Democracy, led by Aung San Suu Kyi, the darling of the West and recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, won the elections. Five and a half years on, and I was still living in Yangon when I first heard rumours of a coup. The military were accusing Aung San Suu Kyi's party, who had won another landslide victory in 2020 elections, of voter fraud. In a press conference, the military spokesperson had refused to rule out a coup when asked, and rumours started flying. We're not saying the military will take power, but we're not saying it won't either. But I found it difficult to believe. The military had little to gain and a lot to lose. So I was doubtful. And I was far from the only one. Even within the military, officers were caught by surprise. I did not know about the coup in Elephants. I was so busy at the time as a staff officer that I did not know what was going on. I heard that some military men had been involved in checking the voters' list and I thought that was not the responsibility of the military men. This is Lin Te Ang, who was a captain in Myanmar's army when the coup happened in February 2021. I was born in Takita Township, Yangong. He's voiced up by an actor. I went to school, as normal young people do, and enjoyed my time there with my friends. My teenage years were really ordinary. Lin is 30 years old and remembers growing up under the previous military regime. Our youth, under military rule, was not free. Those who have money or ties to the officers holding high positions were free. But those from ordinary families and those who came from families having political background opposing the military were worse off. We were not free at all. We were governed with fear. He grew up on a diet of war films which glorified the military. When he was 16, he decided to join the army. It meant a steady job, a reliable income, and, he thought, a chance to progress in life. But he was never entirely committed to the military. Like his family, he never truly bought into the propaganda around it, and he thought one day he'd be able to leave. Even during the time I served in the army, I was not happy. I attempted to leave, but I was not successful. As a captain, I can be promoted to become a major, but I never wish to be promoted. The country has also been progressing, so I believe that one day I will be able to leave the army. Leaving the army in Myanmar is challenging. Troops are conscripted with long contracts that are hard to break. Applications for transfer or early retirement are usually rejected. The grip the military has on both the country and the individual is ironclad. So Lin persevered, and he hoped that eventually he'd be able to leave. But then in February last year, the coup happened. In 2021, at around 10am, I received the news in the battalion I was serving in. I reported the news to the battalion commander. I was like a medium, 
between others and the commander. The command said, get the troops ready, but I did not know why we had to be ready, whether it was for security control measures or anything. After a few calls and messages from others, I learned that the military was going to stage a coup. Right at that moment, I felt like I lost my future. The military arrested dozens of senior politicians from the ruling government, including the president, U Win Mien, and state councillor, Aung San Suu Kyi. For Lin, this went too far. Since the coup, I felt ashamed to wear the military uniform. I felt that I was involved in injustice, that the coup was unfair. I saw on social media, the army had stoked violence and the army disgusted me entirely. Not only the higher-ups, but also military men at each rank had been willingly committing violence. I felt bitter and disgusted at them. I was still in Myanmar at the time. I'd seen the fear and anger grow as the military mobilised troops in an attempt to quell the peaceful protests. As tanks and trucks rolled through the streets filled with soldiers, the military enforced a curfew and then used the cover of darkness to arrest activists and journalists. People I knew personally, friends, acquaintances, were seized from their homes at night. Others fled in fear. I watched troops beat people as they dragged them from the streets into trucks. Videos showed soldiers shooting teenagers in the head. In parts of Yangon, dozens of protesters were killed in one day. And as the death toll rose, more and more people I knew were arrested or forced into hiding. And rumours of a crackdown on foreign media grew. In March, just a few weeks after the coup, I made the difficult decision to leave Myanmar while I still had the choice. A privilege I knew many others didn't share, including Lin. Defection from the army in Myanmar brings with it the highest penalties, and in the midst of a coup, the military were inevitably not going to let people leave easily. If you defected from the army during the time I was on the front line, you'll be in prison for at least 20 years. Or worse, you could be shot and killed. The stakes were high for an escape. But Lin, with each passing day, felt he had no choice. But to leave required meticulous planning and a lot of daring. On 14 March, I left the front line. That day, I was no longer a soldier, but a revolutionary who's against the army. There were many military bases around me, so it was not possible for me to walk. I needed a motorbike or car transportation. There is a town called Madman, near the frontline base I was assigned at. I had to take a car ride from a military base in Madman to get to a different town. Before that, I had to deceive fellow soldiers at the base. I went to Madman military base a day before I actually defected from the army. I deceived some fellow soldiers, one officer at Madman base and others at the base. I was assigned in order to be able to leave. I was the highest ranking officer at the base. So before I left, I just said I had to go somewhere and I will be back. On the next day, I took the bus to a new town and then continued my journey to another place. The departments I reported to learned swiftly about my absence and started their search operations. I was on the run. I knew that they were searching for me. There were some checkpoints I circumvented along the way. I was all alone. I had to disguise myself at times and change my clothes and of course, to change my military haircut. They called me multiple times, so I had to turn off my mobile phone. And as soon as I turned it on, 
there were so many incoming calls. I did not have money, so I had to ask for car rides and beg people to help me. There were days I was starving, often when I was sleeping in the jungle. It took me 19 days to travel from the military base. I fled to the safe place and reached eventually. Some learned about the routes I traveled and followed along them too. Sometimes, I hid in the villages. It was only when I finally met a person who I can't name that I finally got help. Because of them, I finally reached a liberated area. I was free. Lin had done it, reached freedom. He'd arrived in one of many areas controlled by ethnic armed organizations in Myanmar, free from the jurisdiction of the military, and now home to a growing resistance movement, one that he too soon would become part of. Under military rule, life has got much harder for millions of ordinary Burmese. The dollar exchange has gone up about double, so we can only spend half of the amount, half of the value that we used to spend. That's the difficulty for us. Also now, all the price of the groceries, those kind of things has gone up. It's about three times more expensive than before the coup. This is a friend of mine who has stayed in the country. For his security, he's voiced by an actor. We'll call him Baji. He tells me that although life is challenging, he's one of the lucky ones. Many in Myanmar have lost their jobs as the economy has imploded. Soon after the coup, thousands of government workers went on strike. But slowly, offices have reopened and positions have been filled by those now desperate for work. Baji has had to leave his neighbourhood because the community knew he worked in media. At his new place, he keeps a low profile. He worries he's being watched. When I move to another area, I don't communicate with people. I don't go out much. And also when I stay at the house... I just normally put the curtain down and keep quiet. Don't make a lot of noise. And also now, I'm kind of living in two places at the same time, here for some days and there for some days. By law, every citizen in the country now needs to register at their place of residence with local authorities. Like many, Baji is scared to do so because it might draw attention to him. I still didn't do it yet. But neighbours and some friends have also told me that there are some places the military, the army and the police came in the night and they just grabbed the people because they have not registered and informed to the ward office. So I still haven't registered and I haven't informed yet. And I have a lot of worries for that. Because I work in a media-related company, so they might think that I'm doing something against them. So what if they came to my house and checked my phone and they saw some conversation that I haven't deleted yet? So I have a lot of worries for that. And yeah, we can say that that's our daily life. From everyone I speak to, I hear the same thing. Paranoia is rife. Amongst friends, amongst strangers. When anything can get you arrested, then the fear of getting into trouble grows. People are worried and paranoid because of the coup, because there's no rule of law anymore. They can arrest anybody as they want. If we don't know them, they can be like people who don't like the resistance or people who like the military. Maybe so, that's why we don't communicate much with strangers like before. We don't make friends. 
that's the reason. This new military rule, for those who lived under the previous dictatorship, has a lot of familiar characteristics. The fear, paranoia, crackdowns, control. But this regime is, in many respects, more relentless than the previous. Another close friend of mine in the country, we'll call her Pawa, told me how some of her friends were driven from their homes when the military destroyed their villages. It's extremely brutal. My friends and friends of friends, their family members had to leave their native town right now in central Myanmar. So it's extremely brutal now. The Myanmar city is committing through killing civilians. For example, as you can see, like more than 30 killings in Fruso in Gaya State, that include young children and pregnant women, like banning civilian villages, like destruction towards even the monastery and Catholic churches across the city, you know, and they intentionally attack that religious buildings, even in their special occasions, like Christmas or New Year or something like that. And do you think they're purposefully targeting civilians or do you think they're just collateral damage? I think they're purposely uh, killing the civilians because they, they want to show that people like fear. For the UN and human rights groups, these are war crimes. In other words, the ruling hunter is committing war crimes against its own people. And yet little has been said or done by Western governments – the UN Security Council has failed to take any action. There have been no consequences. You might remember this. No colours in Burma, shouts a man. Colour, a slur used against the Muslim minority. And the mob seems intent on driving them out. From a hilltop, we see a young man, presumably Muslim, attacked by men wielding sticks. He staggers, attempting to flee, but he is forced to the earth. Someone in white, armed with a machete, delivers what appears to be the fatal blow. The pictures that follow are too disturbing to show. In 2016, the same military launched systematic attacks against the Rohingya Muslim minority. Over the next year, they drove hundreds of thousands from the country in a brutal campaign of killing and rape. A UN investigation concluded this may amount to genocide, and for many, there was no doubt. But no action was taken against the military. In fact, it just showed what they could get away with. However, that could change. In July, the military government committed an act of violence not seen since the late 1980s, an act that finally made some Western governments sit up and take notice and shone a spotlight on the small but growing resistance movement that offers hope to the millions still living in Myanmar. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Almost as soon as the military pulled off their coup, signs of resistance started to show. At first, it was small acts of defiance. People banging pots and pans, releasing balloons in the colour of Aung San Suu Kyi's ousted National League for Democracy party. But within a few days, tens of thousands took to the streets to protest. Although the coup itself had been bloodless, the military reacted to the peaceful protests with extreme violence, using lethal force to quell the uprising. Many protesters started to believe they had no choice but to fight back, and pockets of armed resistance started to form. For Lin, knowing the challenges of leaving the army, his role originally began with trying to bring other defectors on board. We established an, an organisation named People's Embrace and asked those who wanted to defect to communicate with us through the Telegram channel, where we helped them connect to the revolutionary organisations on the ground. I have also been involved in a group which helped the defectors in collaboration with the National Unity Government, NUG, which was recognised as the People's Government. We have mobilised about 10,000 police and soldiers to potentially defect. After I defected, I became a little more well-known in the revolution of our country. I have been supporting the fundraising programme to secure funds for the revolution. Some works that I cannot disclose. I have been involved in many endeavours to my best ability in armed resistance to fuel the fall of the terrorist army and eliminating military rule. There's no sure way to verify the numbers Lin is telling us, but the resistance movement has undoubtedly mobilised quickly and expanded since last year's coup. It's a dangerous life. There are various types of dangers. The reasons why we do not disclose our whereabouts is that the army is very tricky and wicked. If they knew our locations, they would assassinate us as they do not value a human's life. But it isn't just former soldiers joining up to fight the resistance movement. Thousands of ordinary citizens are too. Panwa and her husband, let's call him Konyo, are just a couple of them. After the coup, they left their jobs and their home to dedicate themselves to the resistance. They moved to a safe house and used their skills and contacts to support the movement. Panwa is an experienced broadcaster, so she helped set up Federal FM, a radio station developed to counter the military's attempts to block communication. While her husband organised rallies, Panwa reported news and spread information about the protest. I have uh, worked as the voluntary um, kind of uh, producer for the Federal FM in, in, 
in Yangon. We, we just secretly trying to broadcast in different townships and different areas. This is because that the military uh, cut off the internet and the people hang out for information. So we're trying to secretly broadcast. Then, when one of her colleagues was arrested, they realized they had to abandon everything. So uh, he, he know my face and he know my real name, as well as he know where I, uh, where my safe house is, that kind of thing. So I need to relocate urgently. And even though we, we both don't have a chance to even say bye to our family members, uh, we, we only uh, inform them through mobile phone. But, you know, for my dad and for his dad, they, they both quite uncomfortable with our decisions. They are quite, you know, afraid and they are very worried a lot for both of our safety. Panwa's husband was already in touch with this growing underground movement that were forming rebel armies. They quickly relocated to Myanmar's mountainous border regions in an area controlled by one of many ethnic armed organisations that's been fighting the Myanmar military for decades. For a city kid who grew up in relative comfort, arriving in a misty hillside town deep in the jungle was a shock to the system for Panwa. After Yangon's tropical climate and low-lying streets, carrying icy buckets of well water through the chilly mountain paths of the borders was a new experience. These isolated villages have spent decades being ravaged by war. Roads are often blocked by conflict, so food and supply shortages are common. I faced lots of um, challenges and I witnessed the real ground saturation of the stakes where, you know, inequality happening compared with Mega City. When they first joined the resistance, Panwa and her husband believed in non-violent means. But after the military turned their guns on the people, they realised peaceful protest could never be the answer. Panwa was horrified after learning the protesters had been shot and killed by the security forces. In separate incidents just days apart, two teenage girls were shot in the head, Miatwaitwe Kaing from Napidor, and then a few days later in Mandalay, a girl known as Angel. I think I decided to fight the citadel in my military back in whichever role I need to play. This is because, uh, I don't know, they, they both are like my sister age. They were so young, you know. And I cried all day when they both were killed by the police officer and military sniper man. By seeing, I cannot endure anymore regarding their cruel and, you know, brutal crackdowns, yeah. You know, brutal headshot killings even in the daylight committed by that, that soldier. Those kind of those kind of all the past incidents still made me motive to join the end resistance journey. And as time went on, it became apparent that there was only one option on the table violence. Her husband Konyo, it turns out, had already been preparing. After two months of the coup. At that time, he already um, attended kind of um, military-related uh, training. He's already uh, doing his own work secretly without even saying clearly what, he, what he's doing to me. And he also taking part 
in some of the missions in the cities. So is he actually running his own armed group? Yes, he he is. He is he is initiating the Urban Revolutionary Front, URF. And he has no military experience before this. He didn't before this, before the coup. You are correct. In July, more devastating news came that for Panwan Konyo was further proof that fighting back with weapons is the only way. Myanmar's military regime had executed four prisoners, including two prominent figures from the resistance, a famous politician and a democracy activist. The first executions in the country since the 1980s, it was a move that signified the difference between this junta and the previous one. For Panwa, it proved that the military regime is never going to negotiate. One of those executed, Piozea Do, was a popular hip-hop artist before becoming a prominent politician in the National League for Democracy Party. I think they they targeted the talented like youth leader or like the 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 famous democracy activist who like been loved by the people and in order to stop these democratic movements. This is his wife, the Xin Yun Aung, voiced by a translator. So well, you could see that the reaction from that community is being very um, strong. And we, I've been seeing that a lot of people who in these revolutions are working harder to uh, topple these military uh, dictatorships like, as quick as possible. I do think it strengthened um, the uh, not only the the people who is participating in the revolution or the and its reach to the ordinary uh, people as well. I noticed in from the music scene in Yangon. Over the years, we've hung out in bars and music venues and drunk beers together by the jetty with friends. What I know for sure from the start is like the military junta will do anything like anything to hold on to the powers and they crave. So until now, even today, people have been dying on their hands because of their human rights violations or like inhuman ways they've been like acting upon on the people. Like announcing that death penalty is is the they are trying to threaten us. They are trying to threaten the whole nation and and to to instill fear in us. I know her as wild, creative and passionate. And it's sobering to hear her talk so stoically about the horrors of the political situation. She's been changed and hardened by the events of the past year and a half. Her strength and determination are still there, but with an underlying anger. What I've lost personally and what our country has been lost couldn't be expressed in words. The junta has been telling that they would kill Guziator, and they actually, and after that, they they said they actually did it. Like regardless of that, um, we have been determined to um, topple this military dictatorship. So I don't want any like um, international contamination and wars, and I like I don't want that anymore. And I want actions to stop them. As, as Myanmar people, we, we always said like we only have ourselves, we, we have to be, uh, we have to try ourselves. But I'm starting to lose faith in, in the global power saying that they are leading democratic country because they are just 
sit just sit and watch this happen so i'm starting to lose um faith in them if you believe in democracy if you believe in human rights so don't just stand and watch us suffer do something the cruelty of these executions has caught the world's attention but still no action has been taken myanmar's civil war is disparate spread across the country There's no single resistance force, but numerous different groups. Most claim to represent the People's Defence Force, an armed group under the command of the National Unity Government, formed by ousted elected officials, the alternative government in waiting. Strong alliances exist and a common goal, but communications challenging in these war-torn areas. Meanwhile, the Myanmar military's equipment and firepower, subsidised by China and Russia, dwarfs them. But despite this, both Lin and Panwa believe the resistance movement will be victorious. They talk of thousands of defectors signing up, civilians fleeing to join them, and believe they can thwart the military rule. In the early days of the coup, there was some support for the protesters from abroad. People sent money for protective equipment and food, and to support those who'd gone on strike. But as the resistance has militarised, Supporting them has become more complex and political. Pan Wan and Lin have both been disappointed by the lack of international support. There's no more international focus on the resistance anymore. You know, I don't know why. Even several villages were burned down in central Myanmar and the military is deploying a air attack across the country. Um, I don't hear or I don't see concrete foot uh, pressures towards the military. As far as I know, in my opinion, there have not been as much support as expected from international communities. There are hundreds of thousands of internally displaced populations who do not have access to humanitarian assistance. The support of other sectors are even more lacking. And as the world ignores the people of Myanmar, its leadership enjoys diplomatic visits and continued trade with neighbouring countries. The executions shocked and appalled, and for a moment, it seemed like the media was interested again, as videos of masked protesters began to spread across the internet. Protests like this might seem small, but the people here are risking everything to participate. They know the potential consequences if they are caught, but they are desperate to still be heard. A year and a half on from the coup, they are not giving up. But the international community seems unlikely to go beyond words. Supporting the alternative government is supporting guerrilla warfare. Arms embargoes are meaningless while Myanmar's powerful neighbours continue to provide weapons to the ruling power. But still, even without help from outsiders, the rebel forces are optimistic and defiant. So we should not be, we should not surrender this time. We should go until the end. We should win this time. But for for me, I believe that this time, this time is the really less chance for us to to get rid of the dictatorship system. And although Myanmar has been here before, there is something different this time. The resistance may be ill-equipped, and it may seem disorganized but it continues to grow and evolve. The people involved are intelligent and tactical, and they have support from thousands around the country. They are doing something that's not been done before, 
And although they may be far from victory, their actions are having an impact. There was a time when Myanmar would regularly appear on the news. The world was eager to follow the rise of Aung San Suu Kyi as the country transitioned towards democracy. But as she became tainted, the media lost their hero. And now, without a protagonist, the world has lost interest in this story. For friends inside Myanmar, either those fighting back against the junta or trying to survive and live a normal life, they feel forgotten. And as they watch the world's attention on Ukraine, it's difficult not to feel ignored, as a brutally repressive dictatorship terrorises its own population. For now, Myanmar's plight continues, stuck in an ugly stalemate, with a frightened population determined not to accept life under military rule, a passionate resistant intent on fighting to the end, and a stubborn and ruthless military refusing to back down. People ask me what it will take to make people care, to make the world act. And sadly, I don't have an answer. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.